right, open your Bibles to John chapter 11, the Gospel of John chapter 11. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like to use one, just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your digital device and open up the YouVersion app or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded in there. If you're watching us live on our online campus or at one of our many, many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, love you guys. So glad that you're part of our family. Maybe you're at our tailgating campus today getting ready for the Packers to destroy the Redskins. Somebody give God some praise today. Yeah, we love... Oh, okay. What are we filled with Redskins fans today? <laughs> Usually when you say the Packers are going to win, maybe you're still hungover from the Badgers getting beat. Talk, take it from a Gopher fan. Too soon? Is it too soon for that? I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry for your loss. And so anyway, for all of our friends at the Brown County Correctional Facility, love you guys. And I love you guys. Thank you for being a part of our family. It's actually been a really awesome, amazing, kind of a big week for Pastor Sonny and I last night. Uh, I just got back from Toronto where my son and Isaiah and I, we went and I spoke a Friday night service at a beautiful church there. And Pastor Sonny actually was preaching there last Sunday and she was there for their women's conference and she spoke Friday night there. And so uh, they got a double shot of Hennessy over the, uh, you feel me? Is that too soon for that too? So anyway, it's, uh, it's never too soon. Anyway, so it's, uh, they got, they... I walked in and they said, just want you to know there's no way you're going to be able to one-up your wife. Great thing to say to somebody right before they get up and preach. And so, so many people got saved. And then like she said, Miriam Bright last night. And so anyway, now we lead into this fourth week of this series that we've been in called Caves. And I started it with a message that was about the damaged cave. And then in the second week, Pastor Sonny talked about the dark cave. Last week we did something that we have never done on a Sunday, is we actually spoke together about the divided cave. But today I want to keep it rolling by talking about this idea of moving from the if only to the even now. How do we move from the if only to the even now in a message that we're calling the death cave? Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you, grateful for you. You know, God, sometimes this becomes cliche, but hopefully not in this room. You are great and greatly to be praised. And so today we pause for a few moments and, and we set aside some time for you. God, would you find our hearts, would you find our intentions, would you find our lives to be pleasing? God, I pray today that as we empty ourselves of who we are, you would replace that volume with who you are. That God, when we leave this place, we would be less like us and obviously more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Death, it is the most powerful of predators. It pursues with such precision and patience that it is the one enemy that no one in this room will ever escape. It wears you down and wears you out. It chips away. It chips away. It chips away. It, it starts small, but as you age, the progression becomes more pronounced with back pain and bad feet and poor posture and depleted energy. It is ever lurking and luring you into its grip. It happens in both incremental mini moments as well as monumental massive movements. Incremental moments like, like noticing that you can't work as hard as you used to and you then just attribute it to the fact that you're just getting 
a little bit older. Monumental movements like discovering a mass and attributing it to cancer. Whichever is the case, the fact is the death angel is seeking and swooping for us all. And your view of death, it is directly connected to your view of life. I love what Pastor Sonny said in her message a couple of weeks ago. She said, really, every person has one of two hearts. You, you either have a soft heart or, or you have a hard heart. Or she said, you either have an open heart or you have a closed heart. You, you either, either have a soft or open heart to the things of Jesus or you have a hard or a closed heart to the things of Jesus. And I think that nothing reveals which heart you have more than death. Uh, the thought of death reveals who we really are. Many of you have heard both Pastor Sonny and I uh, talk about a time in our lives, which was the most difficult time in our lives, where we had to deal with the death of our daughter. No parent should ever have to endure the passing of their child. No parent should ever outlive their child. No parent should ever have to stand by a graveside and, and watch the lowering of their most precious commodity be lowered into the ground. And, and you've heard us talk about that. You, in fact, I've, I've uh, spent the last almost uh, 15 years talking about the ramifications of that moment in my life and, and counseled people through it and spoken many messages about the principles that God showed me in that, wrote a book about grief, uh, wrote a blog about grief. But, but one angle I think maybe none of you have ever heard us talk about is what her death revealed in us. It brought up what was really living in the depths of who we were. Until that moment, on the outside, we both displayed Jesus' characteristics. But when the heat was turned up, when the pressure was increased, the pulp that was produced was so different in her and so different in me. I was angry. I wanted revenge. I, I wanted vengeance. I, I physically and literally cursed God. But Sonny... She was sad, she was broken, she obviously was hurt, but never, never angry. And in the depths of that death cave, I discovered my relationship with Jesus was different than Pastor Sonny's relationship with Jesus. I was connected to him, but she was close to him. See, I was living in the if only, but she was living in the even now. I, I felt like God owed me something, but Pastor Sonny, she felt like she owed God everything. And if that had to be our daughter, then so be it. And what I wonder today is what's going through your head while you have to watch someone suffer. What goes through your head and what goes through your mind if you've ever had to watch someone die. And so I would love it if you would go through a story with me. It's a story in the Gospel of John that talks about this idea of, of living in the if only versus living in the even now. And I want to go through this because so many of us are living in the if only. If only I would have married him or if only I wouldn't have married him. If only I would have finished school. If only I'd eaten better. If only I'd exercised more. If only I wasn't so fat. If only I would have never gotten pregnant. If only I would have played with my kids more while they were younger. If only I hadn't gotten divorced. If only I had got divorced. If only I had taken that job, hadn't taken that job, hadn't left that job. If only I had invested that money, hadn't invested that money. If only I would have had that conversation, would have said that I was sorry, would have actually told the truth. If only I wouldn't have sent that text, wouldn't have taken those pictures. 
If only I hadn't gone out that night, if only I would have called a cab, if only I'd listened to my mama. Don't ever tell her that you thought that last one. <laughs> Life, it is filled with if onlys. But luckily, it is also filled with even nows. And so for a few minutes, let's look at the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. It is one of my favorite stories. He is one of my favorite writers. I love the idea of the disciple John. The disciple John who likely started following Jesus when he was 15 years old. The disciple John, whom, who, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, he wrote those words, so take that into account. The, the disciple whom the Gospels say was caught with his head on Jesus' chest, which when I thought he was 31, I thought was a little weird. But when I discovered that he was 15 and really viewed Jesus like his big brother, that suddenly seemed intimate. To me, this disciple who now that I have a son who has gone from 15 to 16, I view the disciple John a little bit differently. The disciple who was the only of the disciples who was not martyred, but it wasn't because they didn't try. The disciple John who was boiled in oil and survived. A man who was so strong, a man who was so dedicated that they couldn't keep him around other people for fear that he would infect them with Jesus. So they put him on an island called Patmos, which then he has a vision and writes the book of Revelation. We're talking about this guy who wrote this book. Like, y'all, if you read this book and you don't get excited, it's because you don't know what it is that you're reading. And so the disciple John, he writes these words in chapter 11. It says, a man named Lazarus, he was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later would pour the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus, he was sick. So the two sisters, they sent a message. They texted Jesus. They sent him an Instagram IM. They snapped him probably. They sent him a message and they told him, Lord, your dear friend, he is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God would receive glory for this moment. Now. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Pause. Outside of Jesus' disciples, this was Jesus' closest friend. Lazarus was his homeboy. He kicked it with Lazarus on the regular. He, he stayed at their house. Every time he came through town, they anticipated that Jesus was going to stop. They had a room in their home set aside for Jesus. These were Jesus' people. The contents of verse 5 make the contents of verse 6 shocking. Because it says, so when he heard Jesus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And it wasn't because he was busy. It wasn't because he had to finish up a homework assignment. It wasn't because he had something that needed to be handed in for work. It's actually quite the opposite. And we know that because of this one little word. Y'all know that every word in Scripture is ordained. Every word in Scripture is significant. Every word in Scripture is important. Every word in Scripture is anointed and set aside by God. And yet there are words throughout the book that we skip over and skim over. They're little words. You could call them the unsung heroes of Scripture. And some of those words are the most significant words in the book and this is one and it reveals the real meaning of those other scriptures. It's, it's the word so. And this little word so, it presents a cause and effect because what follows the so is the effect but what precedes the so is the cause. For example, I would say I'm hungry so I'll eat. My hunger is the cause, my eating is the effect. In this story, Jesus waiting is the effect but the cause of that waiting is his love. Jesus' love caused him to wait 
for his friend to die rather than rushing to his side to heal him. Which I know sounds totally counterintuitive, but we know that was the cause when we look back at verse 4. It says when Jesus heard it, heard what? That Lazarus was sick. He said this sickness will not end in death. Theologians tell us that almost instantly when Jesus received the news, Lazarus died. Jesus said this sickness won't end in death. It is for the glory of God and so that the Son of God can receive glory. Because Jesus knew that Lazarus' illness would result in death, but it would not end in death. Come on, somebody, that's better than you're listening. I'm just telling you that right now. Because some of y'all need to know that the result of your situation does not have to be the end of your situation. Plus, Jesus was foreshadowing his crucifixion, where the cross would result in his death, but it wouldn't end in his death. And the disciples would later on look back on this conversation and have hope that their result would not be their end. Yeah, I could end this message right there, but I won't because I love to talk. And so Jesus, <laughs> Jesus heard, Jesus waited, verse 7, then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea, but his disciples tripped out. They objected. They said, Rabbi, whoa, slow your roll. Only a few days ago we were there and these jokers, they tried to kill you. Do you really want to go back there? And Jesus replied, yeah, there's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, y'all, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I need to go wake him up. So the disciples, being the wimps that they were, you can prove that scripturally, that throughout scripture they were weak and whiny and meek and mild. And, and they objected. They said, oh, in that case. Now in their mind, they're like, they're going to try to kill us. So if he's just asleep. Let's just, 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 just hang out here. And they thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply asleep. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. And so Jesus did what lots of mentors do. He shook his head and he said, y'all, he's dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you're going to really believe. So come on, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, who later on in the book of Acts would be called Thomas the Doubter. Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, yeah, let's go. Let's die with Jesus. I read that and I go, dang, that popped off quick, like two seconds ago. You guys are like, nah, let's just hang out here. And you ever feel like you got that one guy in the friend group who says the inappropriate thing? He says the dumb thing. And you're like, dude, Shut up. Like, and he's like, yeah, let's go die. And Jesus is like, what? Ain't nobody talk about dying. Like, okay. So anyway, and then this next detail is so important. Okay, it says when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead four days. And the detail of that sentence cannot be overlooked. It cannot be overemphasized. Because for all of time, the Jews believed that a person's spirit hovered above the body for three days. And that at any point inside of those three days, the, the person's spirit or the person's soul could choose whether or not it would enter back into that body. But once the three-day period was over, it was a universal belief among the Jewish people that the soul or the spirit left and that that was when the person was really dead. And after the three days, after the soul had left, after the spirit had left, the body started to erode. The body started to decompose. The body started to decay. 
Had Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead inside the three-day period, it would have been magnificent, but no one would have considered it miraculous. Because there had been people raised from the dead before this. You go into the Old Testament, Elijah raised uh, a widow's son from the dead. His, his, uh, his disciple, Elisha, he raises what's called the Shunammite woman's from the dead. Actually, there's a time where Elisha's bones raised a dude from the dead. This is a dope story if you've never read this. You got some people in there in funeral procession and they got a guy and they got him raised above their head and they're all walking and everybody's singing and they got the tambourines and people are crying and somebody lit some incense and it's a whole thing. And the whole thing is going on. And, but then the, some, some raiders, not the Oakland ones, but some raiders came along and they got scared. It was like a husband who got caught with a chocolate chip cookie at 1 a.m. They were like, oh my God, what do we do with this body? And so they took the body and they threw the body in a hole. I don't know where the hole was. I don't know if they knew anything about the pit, but the scriptures say they took the body, they threw it in a pit, and Elisha's bones, the prophet, Elisha's bones, just coincidentally happened to be at the bottom of that pit. And when the dude's dead body falls to the bottom of the pit, it hits Elisha's bones that homeboy came, well, he came alive. Can you imagine that? It's a lot. Can you imagine being that guy, actually? You're like, oh, my God, why am I in a bone-filled pit? Like, this is ridiculous. Five minutes ago, I was choking on a cookie, and now I'm in a hole with some bones. And so, like, somebody's bones raised somebody from the dead. Jesus raised a couple other people from the dead. One of them, he did it without even seeing the person. He raised them from the dead just by talking about it. But this is the only time in Jewish history that anyone was raised from the dead after the three-day period. This little detail is significant. Verse 18. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary... She stayed at the house because Lazarus' death revealed some things in them, brought up what was really living in the depths of who they were. Until that moment on the outside, they both displayed Jesus' characteristics. But when the heat was turned up, when the pressure was increased, the pulp that was produced was so different in each of them. And these next two verses are where I get this theme for this message. 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here. My brother would not have died. 22. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Here's what I believe. I believe that for three days, Martha was living in the if only. I believe for three days she was living in what I call that Eeyore spirit. I believe that she was living in that woe is me, I might as well eat worms and die. I believe she was like every emo teenager you've ever met in your life, listening to Billie Eilish and painting her fingernails black. I just feel like there was something that was going on in Martha that changed when Jesus got there. Because for three days she's living in the if only, but the moment that she gets in Jesus' presence, she jumps from the if only to the even now, because that's what Jesus' presence should do. When you get in Jesus' presence, your situations and your circumstances should change. But you can't wait for today to position yourself in Jesus' presence. you got to wake up in the morning and turn a little song on. you got to wake up in the morning and, and pick up the book and read a few verses. You, you've got to wake up in the morning and, and say a few words of thanks. Say a few words of Gratitude, And when you begin to put yourself in Jesus' presence, your situation and circumstances begin to change. And I wonder, are you living in the if only today? Are you that Eeyore, oh, woe is me, 
my back is hurting today, and I got to go to work, and well, it's Monday. You know, it's like that's, that's the universal thing. How are you doing today? Well, it's Monday. I didn't even know that was an answer to that question. I mean, I know it's Monday. I actually asked you a direct question. I wasn't looking for a sarcastic answer. You know, nobody says, well, it's Tuesday. You know, Tuesday gets no credit. Monday gets it all, right? It's Monday and Friday. They're the days, and the rest of the days want to know, hey, why do I got to be hump day? Why do I got to be Mike, 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 Mike? Why do I have to be equated with a camel? I'm a, I'm a perfectly good wedding. And why can't you even pronounce my name right? It's Wednesday. It's not Wednesday. It's all I'm talking about. And so, like, that's not an answer. When you get in Jesus' presence, things should change. And here's what I believe. I believe that the next few verses reveal the real reason this entire situation actually happened. 23. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know. He's going to rise when everybody else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, watch this. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told me. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Now, this is actually only the second time that anyone had ever referred to Jesus as the Son of God. And it's actually the first time anyone had ever referred to Jesus as both the Messiah and the Son of God in the same situation. And when Jesus referred to himself and received recognition of himself as those things, that was the final piece of evidence that the religious leaders would need to be able to convict him of blasphemy, a capital offense that was punishable by death. What you just read in this situation is where Jesus initially presents himself to be a living sacrifice, where he had to put himself in a position to revive his friend of physical death so he could rescue you and I from eternal death. Because sometimes God will use our struggles and our suffering as a springboard, as the seed for someone else's miracle. Because God can trust you. God knows that you're suffering and your struggle. You've got the strength where someone else doesn't have the strength. But when they see you succeed in your struggles and in your situation, and they see the significance of your relationship with your Savior, they suddenly receive hope. And sometimes God's using your struggles as an indication of the hope that someone else has. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary. She said, girl, the teacher's here. He's calling for you. And when Mary heard that, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus hadn't yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with Mary in her house were consoling her, they saw her rise quickly and they went out. And so they followed her and they supposed that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 35, shortest verse. In all of the scriptures, Jesus wept. And he didn't weep over the death of his one friend or the doubts of his other friends. He wept over their despair because Jesus is moved by our mourning. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, she said to him, whoa, slow your roll, homeboy, Lord, play. Hey, now. He's been dead four days. He's going to be stank. You open that thing and it's like, poof, 
It's going to be, ooh, you don't, you, you don't want, light a match. Like, you don't want to open that stone. There will be an odor. Jesus said to her, I love Jesus just in every regard. I love how he talks. I lo- like if I could just, just, you ever just, if you could just press record, like Bob Goff's one of those people. Like if I could record, I wish my ringtone was Bob Goff. Hey, hello. You know, or Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day. And I just, I go, there's some people's voices and just the way that Jesus talks. He just said, hey, hey, mama, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Now, listen, God. I know you always hear me. Like, this is, we're catching this really interesting dialogue. Like, okay, yeah, I know. Like, it's almost like God said, hello. Like, uh, I, I know. I know that you always hear me, but, you know, these people are here. And so I said this on the account of these people who are standing around so that they would believe that you sent me. Cool? Awesome. When? When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Now, anybody who'd been a Christian for, for a minute, you've already heard this song. In, you know, Car- this, this was Carmen's jam. That's all I'm saying. This was like he had a whole song about this. And so we have this picture of it in our mind. But I, I picture Jesus with authority when the stone got rolled away. And don't lose track of the fact that that stone was hundreds of pounds. The stone was inside of a track where there was a click that sealed the stone. There, there was a disassembly necessary to move the stone. Several men would have had to make great effort to move the stone, even at their own objection. Jesus stands at the foot of the cave and he cried out with a loud voice, come forth. He wasn't doing that for Lazarus. I'm just telling you right now. You could whisper or yell when somebody dead. You feel me? He wasn't doing that for Lazarus. He was doing that for all the doubters. And sometimes God's going to use you in a situation so that the people around you will see something significant happen. And so he stands at the foot of the cave and he yells, Lazarus! Come forth, 44, and the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go because live people don't need grave clothes. And after four days, after the spirit had already departed, after the decay had already set in, Lazarus came forth living and breathing with no damage or no decay because when Jesus speaks, damage disappears and decay disintegrates because we are made whole. And so if only Jesus had been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But even now, Lazarus will go down as one of the most significant miracles in the history of all time because our struggles are the seed for the miraculous. They are the seed for the impossible. And sometimes Jesus is waiting so that your miracle will be undeniable. And so my daughter, Savannah Rose, who we laid in the ground February the 25th, of 2002 was the seed 
for one of the greatest miracles of my life. And that is my baby girl, Aubrey Rose, who would not be here had we not lost Savannah. Because can I tell you from Jump Street, I was two and through. Let me tell you two reasons why. A, I wasn't never gonna drive a minivan. And number two, I wasn't ever going to be outnumbered. That's all I'm saying. It was going to be two against two in our house. We were not going to be overrun. And so had we not lost Savannah, there would be no Aubrey. And if there was no Aubrey, there would be no me. And so God, if only you'd have rescued me from the death cave and done what I wanted. If you'd have just done what I asked. If you'd have just done what I said, I'd still have Savannah. But even now... I have one of the greatest gifts of my life in Aubrey Rose, and I wonder, where are you living? Are you living in the if only today, or are you living in the even now? Because if you want to experience the fullness of Jesus, you cannot live your life in the if only. You have to live your life in the even now, which brings up the question of how. How do I move from the if only to the even now? So let me give you one step today. Surrender your suffering. I don't know what your suffering is. For some of you, it's a divorce. For some of you, it's a death. For some of you, it's a diagnosis. For some of you, the doctor came in and he said, it's stage four, you got three weeks to live, enjoy your Christmas, and all your hope was dashed. And now you're living in the if only. If only I had this. If only I had that. But if you'll surrender your suffering, if you will submit it as a seed to your Savior Jesus, your life your hope, your reason, your purpose will be changed. So today all I wonder is will you do that? Will you submit your suffering as a seed to your Savior? Would you close your eyes all across this place? You know salvation is just submitting your suffering. That's all it is. We make it a lot of things. We talk about it a lot. It's a churchy word, really, salvation. At its core, what it really means is being rescued. Some of you walked into this place today and you knew that you needed to be rescued. You knew that your spirit was weak. So today, you have a choice. Can you continue in your suffering or can you surrender your suffering? So this morning we're going to give you an opportunity to surrender your suffering and receive Jesus as the seed of hope. It's really easy to do that. This morning we're going to talk about doing two things. To receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which really just means that you submit everything to Him and acknowledge that only He can change and save you. So this morning, that, that's going to require that we do two things. First is that we confess, and the second is that we profess. The first is that we confess that we are sinners, and the second is we profess that He can save us. So if you're here today, and you do not have a, a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to submit your suffering and receive the seed of your Savior today. I'm going to ask people in just a moment to do two things. First is with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. And, and when you make eye contact with me, you can just go ahead and put your hand down. To us, that is your way of confessing. I am a sinner. Second, I'm going to ask for everybody who wants to receive Jesus to repeat a prayer after me along with everyone else in this place. That we're not going to center you out, make you stand, make you feel small. So if you're here, 
and you say, Sean, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior with no one looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, thank you, thank you, thanks, thanks. Anybody over here? Thanks, thank you. Two more seconds. I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you change me? Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we believe that Scripture says that you have now been saved, you've been rescued, you begin a journey, a new life, away from who you are toward who Jesus really wants you to be. We call it your Jesus journey. And so we would love to walk that with you, and you can help us help you in this way. Take the hello card that's in your seat, tear off the bottom part, fill it out, check the box that's highlighted in yellow. It says I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and either put it in the black buckets when they come around here in a minute, or take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we have a packet that we would love for you to have. Inside, there's a three-month devotional. There's a CD called What Now? It's about a 12-minute presentation where I talk about what are the next steps that you need to take. We just want the opportunity to pray for you and to follow up with you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. Uh, we're going to close out this service in just a second. But I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. Uh, that I'm living my life in the if only. You got a little bit of that Eeyore on you. You got a little bit of that, that woe is me on you. You say, Sean, I, I need to make the switch from living in the if only to living in the even now. If that's you, would you raise your hand because I want to pray for you today all across this place. So many people. God, we love you. Thank you that you are the God of even now. You are the God of hope. And so today, God, breathe that on my friends. Breathe that hope on them, God, that their hearts and their minds, their destinies, their lives will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.